You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. Worship begins with sacrifice. We must recognize Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, accept it, and truly worship the Lord. True worship begins when we recognize our own sin and then deal with it through the blood of Jesus Christ. That is true worship. Recognizing that we can't do it by ourselves. I can't earn my salvation. I can't earn forgiveness. Only Jesus' blood is worthy to forgive my sins, and I must come to Him. Are there aspects of your life that are ugly? King Hezekiah understood that we must accept our sin for what it is. Sin, nothing else. It's only through the shed blood of Jesus that wipes our slates clean. Sacrifice. Because he did a work within us, we worship. Today, Pastor Dave talks about the order of the house of God. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 29 as he continues his message, From good to bad to great. Your life is the instrument through God wants to reveal himself to man today. Your life is a dwelling place of God in your body. The Holy Spirit, the whole per, the third person of the Trinity is within you. And the psalmist said on 139, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in the deepest part of the earth, you're still there. Holy Spirit is with you always. In fact, Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would be with you forever. Forever. Incredible stuff when you put it that way. When you think about what we're doing with our bodies, what we're doing to our bodies, how we're treating our bodies, the holy place of God. The temple was polluted. The temple was really in bad shape. The temple was in disrepair. And Hezekiah said to the guys, Clean it up. We want it fixed. I want it put back to where it was before. Let's look at 12 through 19. Then the Levites arose. Mephath, the son of Amasai, and Joel, the son of Azariah, the sons of the Kodathites, and the sons of Merai, Kish, the son of Abdi, and Azariah, the son of Jehalielel, of the Gershonites, Joah, the son of Zimna, and Eden, the son of Joah. The sons of Eliphazabam by the Kabandaman. <laughs> that one got me, guys. I'm sorry. I was on a roll. That one just got me. I'm sorry. Shimri and Jael, and the sons of Asaph, Zechariah, and Mattathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathathath
day of the month, they came to the vestibule of the Lord. So they sanctified the house of the Lord in eight days, and on the 16th day of the first month, they were finished. Then they went to the king Hezekiah and said, We have cleansed all the house of the Lord, the altar burnt offerings and with all the articles and the table of the showbread and all its articles. Moreover, all the articles which King Ahaz in his reign had cast aside in his transgression, we have prepared and sanctified, and there they are before the altar of the Lord. Now, these men had been accomplices in the neglect of the temple. They've been responsible for a lot of the neglect that was taking place. But yet the chronicler, the guy who's writing this, we believe it might be Ezra, noted them by name because King Hezekiah exhorted them to do what was right by cleansing the temple, restoring it, and they did exactly what they were asked to do. It's interesting that the vestibule was done on the eighth day. Eight is the number of new beginnings. Eight is the number of Jesus Christ. It's interesting that that was done on the eighth day. And then it took another eight days for them to finish the job. Sixteen days total to carry all the rubbish that was accumulated in the temple and get it out of the way. And clean the temple according to the law of Moses. It must have been a wreck. And the temple must have been really, really bad. After the first step of removing the problem, now they could put back what was taken out during the reign of Ahaz. Remember, he took all these things out and he used them. He cut pieces in half and put them all around Jerusalem. They had to clean the temple. They had to clean what was in here. How did we clean our temple? By the blood of the Lamb by the blood of Jesus Christ, by accepting Jesus Christ into our life, he came in and begins to clean the temple. Christ comes into us and he begins to clean the temple. He starts getting rid of things. You don't need that in your life. But I like it so much, you got to get rid of it. That thing's rubbish right there. you got to get rid of that right now. But I really like that. We'll come back to it. How about this thing here? And you get rid of it. And soon you start jettisoning all sorts of things. But there's still things there. And you're holding on to them. I don't want to get rid of this. This is my teddy bear. I can't get rid of it. No, you got to get rid of it. you got to get rid of your whoopee blanket. You can't hold on to it anymore. you got to jettison it and get rid of it. And the Lord's very gracious and he's very gentle with you. And he says, okay, we'll come back to that. And he works on something else. Let's get rid of the bad language in your mouth. Let's get rid of that drinking problem, that drug problem. Let's get rid of this sex problem. Let's get rid of this. Let's get rid of that. And as you're jettisoning these things, he always comes back. Now the whoopee. No, I can't give you up the whoopee. Okay. And then he goes on to other things. But he continues to work in your life because the temple's got to be clean. The temple's got to be consecrated. It's got to be clean. And Christ is cleaning it. He already bled and died for to be there. He already bled and died, and we are clean in him. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins. And the blood of Christ does what? Cleanses us from all unrighteousness. We are being a work in progress as he's doing these things in our lives. But it's a beautiful picture here of Christ in there cleaning us, taking care of us. And working with us. And then what we need to do is we need to surrender. As he points something out to you, surrender it. Get rid of it. Let him have it and don't take it back. I need my whoopee. Can you just take half of it? So Hezekiah is restoring the temple. And he's also going to restore worship. 
The first thing he does is to restore the sacrifices. This is so important to restore the worship. He must have the sacrifices there. Why? What has he got to get rid of? Sin. Sacrifices. Got to get rid of sin. Christ took away our sin on the cross. He took away. That was the first thing. He took away our sin. They had to go restore the sacrifices because that's what took away their sin. But it didn't take it away. It only covered it. It only covered. Christ has taken away our sins, past, present, and future, forever. Thank you, Lord. They'll never return. He's taken them away. Let's look at 20 to 27. Then King Hezekiah rose early, gathered the rulers of the city, and went up to the house of the Lord. And they brought seven bulls, seven rams, seven lambs, seven male goats for a sin offering for the kingdom, of, for the sanctuary, and for Judah. And they commanded that the priests, sons of Aaron, to offer them to the altar of the Lord. So they killed the bulls, and the priests received the blood and sprinkled it on the altar. The blood sprinkled on the altar. The blood is so important. Christ's blood has been sprinkled on us and makes us clean. We've been washed in it. It has made us totally clean. Likewise, they killed the rams, and they sprinkled the blood on the altar. They killed the lambs and sprinkled the blood on the altar. Notice how they're constantly going back to the altar. What is our altar? Cross. Absolutely. The cross is our altar. That's where our lamb was sacrificed on. He shed his blood on that cross for us. It's been sprinkled over us. We've been cleansed by his, by his blood. We've been blood bought. Then they brought out the male goats for the sin offering before the king and the assembly, and they laid their hands on them. There's a picture here that I want to make sure you're understanding here. They brought out the male goats for the sin offering and the king, and they laid their hands on them. That's what they did. They had the animal in the killing spot. And whomever's animals it was, laid your hands on the animal. You were transferring your sin to the animal. And while you were holding on to it, they killed it. So that your sins would transfer the animal, and the animal would die instead of you. And his blood would cover your sin for one year. One year only. Unless, of course, you committed another sin, which you probably would. We go back time and time again. So that's what it says. They laid hands on the animals. It's a restoration time. His bold restoration. I didn't finish reading. Hang on. And the priest killed them, and they presented their blood on the altar as a sin offering to make atonement, atonement for all of Israel and for the king commanded that the burnt offering and the sin offering be made for all of Israel. So notice, notice that the king is doing it first. The king has to get his sin taken care of. The priest had to get their sin taken care of. You know the story. If a priest didn't have his sin taken care of and he went into the Holy of Holies, done, killed, done. Had to take care of his sin first before he went in for the nation or for anyone else. So here the king is standing in place. The king, is this guy's doing everything right. He's doing everything the way it's supposed to be done. He's not circumventing the priest like his grandfather Uzziah did. He's not circumventing. He's letting the priest and the Levites do their own thing. And it's very, very good. Hezekiah was not foolish enough to overstep his bounds like his grandfather did. In his arrangement for the restoration of the temple service, Hezekiah was careful to include both offering and worship. They go together, giving an offering, giving to the Lord an offering. 
It was either an animal or something like that, and then you had the sin offering of the blood of the animal. Each honored God in very, very important ways. And you can go through the Levitical laws, you can go through Exodus, and it talks all about those kind of things. Hezekiah reinstated the sacrifices to please the Lord to deal with their sin. This is enormous. And this is the first thing he did. Notice the first thing he did. Deal with sin. First thing he did is he dealt with the sin of the people, himself, and the nation. True worship begins with sacrifice. We must recognize Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, accept it, and truly worship the Lord. True worship begins when we recognize our own sin and then deal with it through the blood of Jesus Christ. That is true worship. Recognizing that we can't do it by ourselves. I can't earn my salvation. I can't earn forgiveness. Only Jesus' blood is worthy to forgive my sins. And I must come to him. Now, the Apostle Paul says something in Romans 12 that we we all know, and we've, we've used it before, and we've read it in verses 1 and 2. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable which to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable, the perfect will of God. So Paul here is pleading with the Roman believers to present their bodies now as living sacrifices. It makes good sense for us to prevent and to offer our body to God as an instrument for him to use and to accomplish his purpose. But how, again, we'll go back to the abuse we put our bodies through, the things we put into our bodies, the things we do to our bodies, the things we touch, the things we want to have. We expose ourselves to all sorts of horrible things. Now, there's an attitude out there that's wrong. And you hear this mainly in the pro-abortion group. It's my body, and I can do whatever I want with it. Well, that is a wrong attitude. That is a wrong attitude because God has given you life, and it's God who sustains your life. I look back on my BC days before Christ, and I can see God's hand in my life sustaining me. I can see it even though I wasn't born again. He was sustaining me. In fact, Daniel says to Belshazzar, quote, the God in whose hands your very breath is. And we talk about this a lot. God says, Dave, don't breathe again. I don't breathe. He holds my life in his hands. He is my very breath. He is my very, very breath. And I think of how people use their bodies for so many bad purposes. We tax our bodies to the limit and the goals. We try to gain and gain and gain and gain and gain and gain. You forget Jesus' words and say, you fool. Suppose your life is wanted tonight. What are you going to do with all that stuff you have? You're not going to take it with you. Stop and think for a moment that that makes sense. If you gain all the glory of the world, if you gain all the fame in the world, if you gain all the wealth in the world, how long is it going to last? Somebody else is going to come behind you and take all that. Somebody else is going to come behind you and take it. Is it worth spending eternity in hell? The problem is with man is that he so often doesn't stop the reason things through. We don't stop to think things through. We don't stop to think. 
Deuteronomy 32:29 says, "Oh that they were wise, that they understood this, that they would consider their latter end." We don't think of the consequences down the pike. Because I want what I want, I want it now. And nothing's going to stop me from getting what I want. Consequences or consequences, I don't care what they are. I don't care until the consequences come and then your Lord get me out of here, please. Problem is we don't stop to consider the ultimate consequence of our actions. We don't look down the road to see what's coming. If we would stop and consider where we're being led, we might not never go down that path if we see it. The Bible teaches that our reasonable relationship in Isaiah 1.18, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they can be as white as snow. Though they're as red as crimson, they can be as white as wool. And through the prophet Isaiah, God said, they don't consider in verse 3. It's a great problem. Stop to consider. Stop to be reasonable. Most people spend their entire lives in things that have absolutely no eternal value whatsoever. What are we reaping up? Where are we storing up in heaven? Their bodies are used for activities. Present our bodies as living sacrifice unto God, which is our reasonable service. And when you think about it, this truly is reasonable to present our bodies to God. It's reasonable. Why? Because God is so wise that he knows so much. It's reasonable for me to give him my life. It's reasonable to say, this is my life. You lead it. Because I certainly made a mess of it when I led it. It's unreasonable for me to try and go ahead and Figure out what's going on. Try to work out my own life and my own plan. I find out that I'm pretty thick-headed and stupid in these things. It's a reasonable thing, a rational thing, a smart thing to turn my life over to one who can make a decision, a good decision for my life. And that's God. And that's God. I see this happening with Hezekiah. Don't be conformed to the world, and yet that is exactly what the world wants you to do. The world wants you to be conformed to it. Be conformed to the world. Oh, don't try to be different. We're all the same. The peer pressure to conform. Magazines, television, I don't care where it is. Conform, conform to the earth standards, the world standards. Hezekiah knew the value of worshiping the Lord. He knew the value of offering sacrifice. He knew the value of offering himself, offering things to God. He knew that value. That was his reasonable service. That's what he wanted to do. And he wanted Judah to do the same thing. And they were. They were coming along. They were coming along. Look at 28 through 30. So all the assembly worshipped. The singers sang, the trumpeters sounded, and all this continued until the burnt offering was finished. And when they had finished offering, and the king and all who were present with him bowed and worshipped. Moreover, King Hezekiah and the leaders commanded the Levites to sing praise to the Lord with the words of David and Asaph, the seer, so they sang praises with gladness, and they bowed their heads and worshipped. Oh, my. Oh, this must have been a great thing. There is joy in the Lord. There is love in His Spirit. There is hope in the knowledge of Him. We sang about that. Worshipping and praising the Lord. And probably were singing the songs of David. They were probably singing his psalms. And they were worshipping the Lord. Each person did what they were supposed to do. They communally honored God, and that's what we try to do in this setting. We try to, each of us, honor God. Each of us, whether you're on the worship team, whether you're doing this, doing that, whether you're here sitting, whatever you're doing, we try to honor God. Present ourselves unto him. They worship God with the very best words they could find, David's psalms. That's so cool. They were probably singing those psalms and worshiping God. What a, man, that's cool. Cool. Let's look at 
21 through 36. 31. Then Hezekiah answered and said, Now that you have consecrated yourselves to the Lord, come near and bring sacrifices and thank offerings into the house of the Lord. So the assembly brought in sacrifices and thank offerings, and as many as were willing heart brought burnt offerings. And the number of burnt offerings which the assembly brought was 70 bulls, 100 rams, 200 lambs. All these were for burnt offerings to the Lord. They, the, the consecrated things were 600 bulls and 3,000 sheep. But the priests were too few, so they, that they could not skin all the burnt offerings. Therefore, their brethren, the Levites, helped them until their work was ended and until other priests had sanctified themselves. For the Levites were more diligent in sanctifying themselves than the priests. Sounds like the priests were dragging their feet a little bit when it came to the sanctification process. They were kind of dragging their feet for some reason. We really don't know why. So Hezekiah said, fine, Levites, jump in there and help out. It wasn't really against the law of Moses, but they helped out in this situation because there wasn't enough to go around. Also, the burnt offerings were in abundance with the fat of the peace offerings and with the drink offerings for every burnt offering. So the service of the house of the Lord was set in order. Notice those words. It was set in order. God is a God of order. God is a God of order. He has an order for everything. Then Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced that God had prepared the people since the events took place so suddenly. Once they had properly sacrificed and cleansed the temple and their own hearts before the Lord, now the assembly was invited. Bring in your personal things. One of the great purposes of the temple, it was a place of personal sacrifice and personal worship for the believer. That's what this place is. It's a place to come in and personally worship the Lord in all your heart. Personally pray, personally get together with brothers and sisters, but for you, it's a time to get one-on-one with the Lord. And we stress that so importantly, especially during communion, that you get together, you and the Lord, a better place to do it. The priests were too few. The Levites were better off than the priests. They were more helpful. Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced that God had prepared the people. Remarkable response of the assembly was proof that God had prepared the people there could have never been such response unless God was working among the people. This was evident in such a great work. A great work. People were bringing their sacrifices to the Lord. This was causing a revival to break out. This was causing a revival to break out. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, turn from their wicked, turn from their wicked sins, then I will hear from their land. I forgot one. Seek my face, if my people. Next week, Hezekiah is going to take one step further, and he's going to restore the Passover. He's going to restore the glorious feast of the Passover. It's a great time. But he is persuaded to make an alliance with Shennacherib, and he comes to Shennacherib with an alliance instead of going to God, so he does falter a little bit. But Isaiah comes to the rescue Isaiah comes to the rescue and basically counsels Hezekiah back to the Lord. Many people say if it hadn't been for Hezekiah, this guy would not have been such a great king. It's good to have a prophet in your pocket. (laughs) It's good to have a prophet in your pocket somewhere who can tell you these things. Hey, get back to the Lord. Okay. You are Second Chronicles is the ongoing account of the kings of Israel and then Judah. 
Here on A Sure Hope, Pastor Dave has been teaching through this book, giving you a good awareness of the things that happened during this time. He started with King Solomon's reign, and you quickly see how when things are managed by mere men, it starts to devolve into selfish wants and desires. This is the way of the world, isn't it? But in contrast to that, you get a glimpse into a few kings who really sought after the Lord and tried to honor Him with their kingly reign. Being human, there's always that tension between what you want and how it gives you that esteem versus doing what honors God and gives Him glory. It can be easy to look at some of the examples of these kings and quickly start to look down on them. But if you were faced with that same culture and situations, would you do any differently? To know that a few of these men stood up against the crowd is striking. They decided to be countercultural and chose to honor God above all. Wouldn't it be great for God to say the same about you? We're so glad you decided to join us today. This series in the book of 2 Chronicles is one that you'll want to keep tuning into. One teaching connects to the next and helps give you the context of the book as a whole. If you'd like to hear today's message again or you missed one and want to go back to it, head over to AsureHopeRadio.com. We're out of time for today, but we're excited for you to join us again. Never forget that because of God, you have a sure hope.